Mark chapter 4, verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, and then the ear, and then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts, in, he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes a larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Good morning, everyone. My name is John. I'm one of four elders who serves here at Christ Community. And as always, it is a privilege to be up here and able to share with you this morning. For those of you uh, who know me a little bit, you're aware that I have had uh, a number of different jobs in my adulting career. And uh, one of the First job is really the first job I had coming out of college was as a public school teacher in Atlanta, Georgia, and it didn't take me long into that profession to realize that was probably not going to be the vocational home for me over the long haul, uh, but I did come away from that experience uh, with a tremendous amount of respect uh, for educators and all that goes into their craft, and just as an aside... I would say um, that, I, that I'm encouraged in recent years by the growing number of members here at Christ Community who have taken up uh, the mantle of, of education and are uh, instructing young people from elementary school all the way up to graduate school. Uh, I'm encouraged by that. It's, it's important work. And uh, if you talk to any of those uh, educators here at Christ Community, what they'll tell you is that teaching is a multi-dimensional discipline meaning that in order to do it well, you have to be effective on multiple levels. And one of those dimensions is what I'll call the what of teaching, right? Content. If you're a history teacher, you got to know history. If you're a math teacher, you got to know math. If you're a science teacher, you got to know science, and so on. It's important, in fact, it's critical uh, to know your stuff as a teacher, but if you're going to be an excellent teacher, you also have to master the how of teaching. Method, approach, in teaching they have a fancy word, pedagogy, right? Great teachers don't just know their content really well, they also think carefully about how to deliver that content to a particular group of students at a particular time in order to accomplish a particular objective. And if you think back on some of the best teachers that you've had 
in your life, regardless of the context. Maybe it was a coach, maybe it was a music teacher, maybe it was someone in school, theater, whatever. But if you think back on a great teacher you had, my guess is that both of these dimensions were in play. They probably knew their content really well, whatever the domain was, but they also probably knew how to deliver that content in a manner that was consistent with how they wanted you to grow or develop. And I bring up these two dimensions of teaching because both must be carefully considered if we are to correctly understand and faithfully appropriate Jesus' message to us here in Mark chapter 4, verses 21 through 34, where his method of teaching is equally, if not more important, than the message itself. So for those of you who like clear outlines, here's where we're headed today. Three questions as it relates to this particular text. Question number one, what is Jesus teaching us here in this passage? We'll look at the content of that message. Number two, how is Jesus teaching us? What is his method of instruction and what can we learn from it? And then question number three, why should we listen to Jesus' teaching here in this passage application? What is Jesus teaching us? How is Jesus teaching us? And why should we listen to him? So we're going to dig into those three questions, but before we do, please pray with me again. Father, I think our, our prayer, our heart, our desire uh, coming into this passage and this sermon is pretty clear. We ask you uh, to give us uh, ears to hear what you're telling us. We're mindful of the parable from the previous passage with the good soil that bears exponential fruit, and that's who we want to be. We want your word uh, to fall on good soil in our hearts. And so if, if we need um, convicting, if we need preparing to, to hear so that we can respond to your message, uh, we pray that through your spirit you would do that now, that you would prepare our ears and our minds and our hearts uh, to receive what you have to offer us this morning and to respond uh, in ways that may be called for in our particular lives and context. So again, give us ears to hear and hearts that are willing to respond to your word here this morning. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, question number one, what? What is Jesus teaching us here in this passage? And uh, one thing that is fairly clear is the general subject of Jesus' teaching. The subject here, the umbrella that hangs over this entire section, and really to some degree the whole gospel of Mark, is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. This is the drum that Jesus bangs throughout his earthly ministry. Uh, going all the way back to his first recorded words in the gospel, if you remember. Chapter 1, verse 15. What does he say? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Jesus makes it clear from the jump of his ministry that he is ushering in a new kingdom. There's something new and fresh and exciting that Jesus is bringing to us. And with each story, each parable, each simile he shares, Jesus is offering us fresh insight into the nature of this kingdom. So what exactly do we learn from today's text about this new kingdom which Jesus is ushering in? There's four lessons, at least four lessons here that we're going to briefly unpack together. The first is found in verses 21 through 22, and you can follow along if you have your Bibles open there. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. So here's the the big idea from this first lesson. I'm just going to give it to you. Though the kingdom of God is presently veiled, its ultimate destiny is to be fully revealed. Though the kingdom of God is presently veiled, its ultimate destiny is to be fully revealed. There's a progression when it comes to God's kingdom from hiddenness to revelation. And we see this progression uh, more clearly in the Gospel of Mark than perhaps any of the other Gospels. This whole thing got started uh, in somewhat obscure fashion with a baby in a manger. We're going to be celebrating that here in just a little over a month, right? Obscure, kind of hidden. The world did not recognize the significance of that moment and what was getting started. But just as the lamp's ultimate purpose is to be put on a stand so it can give off light, so the kingdom of God's final purpose is to be made fully manifest. Right now, we are living in the already but not yet stage of that progression. The kingdom is here. It's broken in. It's being made manifest at certain times and certain ways through certain people. But as believers, we can look forward to a day when that kingdom will break through fully and finally, lighting the entire world. So that is the message of this first lesson here, this idea of hiddenness to revelation, that the kingdom of God will one day be fully revealed. Let's look at lesson two, found in verses 24 through 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Here's the big idea here in verses 24 through 25. In the kingdom of God, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Now, obviously, Jesus is not talking about money here or material possessions, right? You you pay attention to any of Jesus' life and ministry, you recognize that he operates on a different economy. What he's talking about here are spiritual 
insides that yield spiritual fruit. Think back to the parable of the sower from last week. How much lasting fruit was produced by the first three types of soil? Those representing people who were not yet ready to hear and respond to the word of God for one reason or another. How much lasting, enduring fruit was produced there? None, right? There were fits and starts with different seeds, but they were quickly either picked off by birds, scorched by the heat, or choked out by thorns. Now, how much fruit was produced by the seed that fell on good soil? You can just glance back there, verses 8 and 9. The yield was 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. What are we learning here? What we're learning here is that in God's kingdom, the wealthy, the rich, the prosperous are defined by being effective hearers of God's word. Those who are ready to receive and respond to Jesus' teaching. Such people, Jesus says, because of their heart, because of their posture, because of their readiness to receive and digest what Jesus is offering, they will receive exponentially more wisdom, and as a result, they will produce exponentially more fruit than those who are not ready to hear what Jesus has to say. And I hope is that as you reflect on that reality that you're, you're pulled, you're attracted uh, to, to the good soil, that you want to be a disciple that produces fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold, rather than these other types of soil that in the end yield nothing. Lesson number three, verses 26 through 29. He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, anytime you're trying to interpret the meaning of a parable, one thing you want to pay attention to are any words or phrases that are unnecessary. Anything that may have been inserted that, that kind of sticks out, the story could stand without it, but, but it's there, right? Typically, such phrases are meant to point us to the big idea of a parable. And there's two key phrases to pay attention to in this parable that unlock the meaning for us. The first is found in verse 27. Jesus says, the seed sprouts and grows he knows not how. He knows not how. That's one phrase to pay attention to. The second is in verse 28. The earth produces by itself. By itself. 
Those two phrases are key. He knows not how and by itself. You put those two phrases together, it points us to this big idea. Kingdom growth does not depend on human effort, nor can it be explained by human wisdom. I'll say it again. Kingdom growth does not depend on human effort, right? because the earth produces by itself, nor can it be explained by human wisdom. He knows not how. And let's be honest. This kingdom principle that we're seeing here in the text, it, it kind of drives us crazy, right? Or at least it does me. If you're anything like me, you like to be in the know and you like to be in control, right? And, and if we had our preference, it would be on that in control side of the spectrum. If it was up to us, we would have full autonomy, full power to uh, manipulate the outcomes that we want to experience in this world. And if we can't get that, if we can't get full control over making sure that things happen that we want to happen, our sort of secondary prize would be, well, at least keep us in the know, God. At least give me a play-by-play so that even if I'm not in control of what's happening, at least I understand what's happening and I have a sense for why it's happening. And so, you know, we, we want to be informed. But a lot of times in the kingdom, we don't get either. We don't get control of outcomes, uh, nor are we even aware of what's transpiring or why it's transpiring. And, and so this is tough for us, but in the end, I think it's good for us because it cultivates patience and it cultivates humility which are basically required virtues if we're going to participate in the kingdom of God. And I love how uh, one of the commentators sort of summarized the import of this parable. And if there's something worth writing down from the sermon, it'd probably be this. He says, The wise disciple will wait in confidence for God's work to be accomplished in God's way. The wise disciple, which again, hopefully we want to be, will wait in confidence for God's work to be accomplished in God's way. That's what lesson three is all about here in verses 26 through 29. Let's look at the final teaching from Jesus here, verses 30 through 32. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. This parable of the mustard seed is one of the more familiar parables from Jesus' teaching ministry. It shows up in three of the four Gospels. Once again, the primary character in the parable uh, is a seed. But in this parable, the focus is not so much on the growth of the seed as it is on the contrast between the seed's insignificant beginning and its impressive 
final size. That is what the parable is is wanting us to, to focus on and think about, this contrast between the seed's insignificant beginning and its impressive final size. So in terms of a big idea here, I've described it this way. Jesus is saying, look, don't sleep on the kingdom of God. Don't sleep on it. It it may start small, like a mustard seed, and at first you might be tempted to miss it, uh, to look past it, to underestimate it. But in time, it's not only going to outgrow all the other plans, but it's going to become so large, so big, so impressive that other creatures are eventually going to find refuge in its shade. So in some ways, this parable sort of harkens back to the first one from our passage today, this idea of of going from something that's hidden to fully revealed, going from something that's small to really large and impressive. And, And it's, I think, Jesus' way of just almost like a warning. Don't sleep on the kingdom. Don't underestimate it. It may not look... Uh, big and shiny and impressive at this moment, but given time, it's going to be incredible what it turns into. Again, I I like the summary from one commentator. He said, though insignificant in its beginning, the matured result is the provision of strength and protection for those who come within its shade. So there we have a quick recap of what Jesus is teaching us about the kingdom of God in our passage today. And hopefully there were a few truths in there that provided some nourishment to your souls. But now let's consider what we can learn from the method of Jesus' teaching. How? How is Jesus teaching us about the kingdom of God? And in answering that question, it's first worth noting what he doesn't do. He doesn't bottom line it for us. For all that Jesus talks about the kingdom of God in this passage and throughout the Gospel of Mark, he never boils it down to one phrase, one sentence, one set of bullet points. Instead, he speaks in parables. Stories meant to illustrate different features of the kingdom. Stories that are often quite nuanced and difficult to understand. So why? Why does Jesus teach in this manner? Well, I think there's at least two reasons. Uh, The first is illustrated well by an answer Flannery O'Connor once gave to an interview question. If you don't know, Flannery O'Connor is an author who wrote uh, these really creative uh, short stories that were meant to illustrate certain features of Christianity and the kingdom, but uh, they were often a little bit difficult to to interpret and to understand. And so she was once asked in an interview to summarize the meaning of one of these stories she had written, to which she replied, if I could summarize it in a sentence, I wouldn't have had to write the story. Right? And I could imagine Jesus saying a similar thing about the kingdom of God and his parables, right? When a construct is as expansive and rich and nuanced as the kingdom of God, it's difficult to boil it down into just one sentence. And if you tried to, there would be an inevitable reduction that takes place. So rather than give us one succinct summary of his kingdom, Jesus gives us a series of parables 
these stories that when you knit them together, paint a beautiful, rich, textured tapestry for us to behold. So that, that's one reason. The second reason is more explicit in the text, and it's one that Scott explained well last week. He reminded us that Jesus' mission is not for everyone to like him. Right? That's not why he came to the earth. It's just to become really popular and attract a big crowd and to get everyone to think he's great. Okay, he didn't necessarily want everyone to like him. Therefore, he was not compelled to make sure that everyone understands him. His primary concern was for those whose ears were ready to hear him, whose hearts were ready to receive him. He's concerned about the good soil, to go back to the parable from last week. So he teaches with these parables in such a way as to attract those people, attract people who are planted in the good soil, and to repel those who are represented by the other three types of soil. And that's exactly what we see happening in, in this chapter. Again, going back to last week's passage, as soon as he's done with his public teaching, what do his disciples do? Those who are closest to him. They ask him about the parables. They didn't understand everything he said, but they were hungry to listen. They were hungry to learn. They were hungry to grow in their faith. And, and though these disciples, you know, we'll see throughout Mark, they're far from perfect, I do think we're meant to follow their lead in this way. Which takes us to our final question. Why? Why should we listen to Jesus? And baked into this question is the main point of the whole chapter, so I just want to state it again so we don't miss it. Right? Chapter 4 in Mark is a call to attentive hearing of God's word. That's, that's the big idea that sits over this whole section. You know, verse 23 from our passage today, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, that's, that's the call of this chapter. But why? Why should we heed that call? Why should we listen to Jesus? After all, there are a lot of different teachers out there right now with many different messages and many different kingdoms vying for our allegiance. And some of those teachers, some of those messages, some of those kingdoms offer us temporary pleasures, temporary blessings, right? Maybe there's stature associated with some of those kingdoms. Maybe there's, you know, financial wealth associated with some of those kingdoms. Maybe there's certain comforts associated with those different messages in kingdoms. So why? Why should we pay attention to this teacher? Why should we listen to his teaching? Why should we submit to his kingdom? What makes Jesus different or special or better from everyone else? It's a fair question. What we'll see as we keep reading on in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus is not only a great teacher. He's also 
a great savior. He perfectly lived the life that we were called to live. He received the judgment that should have fallen on us. He died the death that should have been ours. And make no mistake about it, there were points in that whole journey to the cross where Jesus, with his words, the wisdom of his words, the power of his words, the force of his words, he could have called off the dogs. He could have flipped the whole thing on its head. He could have avoided the death that he was marching towards. But in those moments, he chose to stay quiet, not to speak, not to teach, not to utter a single word, but instead to take the hit upon himself so that we could be spared. So why should we listen to Jesus? Why should we tune our ears to him? Why should we submit ourselves to his kingdom? It's very simple. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's earned our attention. He's earned our allegiance. He's earned our complete submission to his kingdom. Not just through his wise words, but through his sacrificial blood which we will remember in the meal that is to come. But first, let me pray. Father, you, you are worthy. You are worthy of our focus, of our attention, of our submission. You've done things for us through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, that uh, no one else has ever done for us, that no one else could ever do for us. Uh, you're worthy. And so I pray that in response, each and every one of us here this morning would, would recognize that reality, would honor that reality, and that in response, uh, we would bend our knee to you, listening to you, and responding to you in whatever ways you might be calling us to, given our current life circumstances and context. So help us to hear, Lord. Help us to obey. Help us to be faithful members of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.